Thank you so much. Church, it's, uh, it's good to be together, and it's good to continue on this series here in just a moment. I want to put something on your radar, though, coming up real, real soon. Uh, on Sunday, September 3, it's Labor Day weekend, if that uh, helps you out with the, with the timing at all. We're doing something that we've never done before here in Encounter. It's part of our most intentional fall launch yet. Uh, it's called Team Sunday. And the idea behind this thing, I kind of want to like let you in on the, the behind the scenes, kind of the vision behind the thing, uh, so you know the why in addition to the what. Uh, for years now, as pastor of this church, I've gotten to see uh, athletic teams come to church together. Like we've seen the volleyball team one year, like everybody comes together. Uh, it's a bummer for whoever was sitting behind them that day because you couldn't see anything, right? <laughs> Uh, we, we've seen the swimming and diving track teams, like everybody coming to church together, and it is the coolest thing. And so we thought, hey, listen, instead of just celebrating when it randomly happens, let's try to be intentional and try to create this space. So Labor Day weekend, that Sunday, if I'm totally honest, it's usually a Sunday around churches where it's like, okay, get your last minute vacations in. This year, we're zigging maybe when in the past we've zagged, and we're leaning into it and we're pouring fuel on that thing to say a lot of teams have started off uh, already, have reported to schools earlier. So let's design a worship service specifically with them in mind. Uh, it's going to be games afterwards and lunch, and we're going to want to feed them. <laughs> and that's, that's why I really i am sharing it with all of you. Um, if you feel so led to provide some food, we've got some suggestions, some ideas, uh, or if you just want to learn more about it, head on over to encounterchurch.org slash Team Sunday. That is the website. kind of explains a little bit more uh, about that event for all of you. Because we know how powerful it is, don't we? When you've got a senior inviting an incoming freshman and say, hey, listen, uh, it doesn't have to be your church for home forever, but until you find one for yourself, you're coming with me. There's a pattern that gets set there. And if we could, if we could honestly speak into that student's life and inspire them with the gospel over these next four years instead of having them lose their faith they rediscover it we're talking about a generational change that we get to be a part of and it's so exciting our goal is three different schools five different teams all joining us for team sunday maybe you're not on the food distribution side maybe you're on a team yourself go ahead and check out that website country.org slash team sunday and check it out for yourself we'd love for you to register and so bring bring some teammates along and share the gospel with them that way uh, today we're continuing on this series poison control and if you're just now joining us the idea behind the idea on this series is that there's these behaviors or these attitudes these thoughts that i think we all have that are toxic that are, they're poisonous to us. Maybe not uh, necessarily poisonous or toxic to our physical bodies, but certainly to our hearts, certainly to our spiritual lives and to our souls. And even today we're going to talk about how it's toxic and poisonous to the relationships around us. And we've taken a look at different elements. A couple weeks ago we looked at anger, and we looked at the destructive and constructive power of anger presented to us by Jesus. Uh, last week... We uh, heard a testimonial from Jackie DeVries on shame. Can we just say thank you for that message? For those of you who are around for that message, um, it's just incredibly powerful. It's also the reason why on a lot of chairs in front of you, there's, there's tissues now. Because it was, it was by request. Uh, check that one out on the media player. We'd, uh, we'd love to share that one with you again. Next week, we're finishing off the series by talking about pride. Today is a doozy, though. Um, uh, today, we're, we're talking about a topic uh, that has uh, the capacity to really touch and to destroy 
every human-to-human, person-to-person relationship uh, that you have in your life currently or will have in the future. Uh, today's topic, I think, is, is prevalent. It's everywhere. And I think it's more prevalent and more everywhere than it ever has been in the past. In fact, uh, every single time, to my knowledge, that somebody has asked me as a friend or more commonly as a pastor, hey, can we get together? Can we sit down? And when we do alone, one-on-one, and whenever they look at me and say, Dirk, I have never shared this with anybody in the past before. I know it's about today's topic. It's something that arose from this toxic, from this poison right here called lust. Jesus had a lot to say about this thing. And his world-famous Sermon on the Mount, of course, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who looks at a woman, and let's throw men in that category as well, lustfully has already committed adultery with him or her in their heart. I mean, it's, it's powerful, right? Jesus, Jesus raised this thing up and he put it on this extraordinarily high platform of toxicity of the capacity that it has to poison so many things and he warned us about it again and again and then we've kind of taken that warning and we've stunted it and we've dulled it in a lot of ways and we, we've said no no, no I mean, come on uh, th- this is uh this is innocent it's no harm no foul it's a pastime it's a recreation it can't possibly be that destructive not when everybody does it We've looked at something like this, and uh, I've heard statements like, listen, I'm, I'm window shopping. I'm not buying. Innocent, right? Uh, somebody actually used the phrase to me, and it's just, it's so cringeworthy. Uh, I, I thought, hey, let, let's say it in church. <laughs> get it out there. Uh, somebody used the line, listen, why does it matter where I get my appetite as long as I come home from dinner? Don't do that. Don't be that person. It's terrible, right? Uh, I hope I hope that if you had the misfortune of making any one of these statements, like somebody just said, hey, listen, that's not your best look. Knock it off. Uh, it's, it's not good, right? If somebody said, like, hey, listen, if, uh, if she didn't want you to look, she probably wouldn't wear that, or he. Uh, if he or she didn't want you to watch the video, they probably wouldn't have posted the video. Anytime, like, we hear these statements, I hope there's somebody that lovingly courageously comes alongside of you and said, it's not your best look, just don't. Uh, the, the problem, though, the problem, though, is that maybe along the lines, they haven't told you why. And I think the why is really the best part about the whole thing. Uh, and, and possibly, if, if they told you the, the what of, hey, listen, it's not your best look, you should knock that off, maybe they haven't given you, like, the key to unlocking this thing and actually rediscovering a really incredible part of your own humanity that Jesus wants you to regain. It's like a part of yourself. So that's what I'd like to do, the why and the key to unlocking this whole thing. Now, disclaimer, as we head into this space, some of you I recognize are not yet followers of Jesus, and you don't have the same convictions that I have. So I'm going to share some things uh, in framing this really in light of the Jesus story, and you're going to hear some parts today and go like, dude, I don't think so. That's not me. I don't have those convictions. I don't share that beliefs. And that's fine. You don't have to. You can disagree with me on some significant issues. I'll talk to you in the lobby. You can say, I'll see you next week, though. That's what kind of community we are of of a diverse group of people. I hope that we have you in attendance worshiping with us. Uh, However, I want to add, you might disagree with some things, but there is going to be some content today that you hear that I'm just telling you. 
Because I've seen it play out over and over and over again. There's some things that I'm going to share with you that could add an incredible amount of depth, hope, and intimacy to your relationships. Maybe it's the person that you marry. Maybe it's the person that you will marry. Uh, maybe it's just another person in your life. And I'm just telling you, even without the Jesus component onto this thing, it's probably worth paying attention to. Now, for the many of you who are committed followers of Jesus, you don't have a choice. This is mandatory. <laughs> it's in the Bible. You have to listen. You have to take notes. Uh, no, there's, it's good stuff in here. But it really is. It's, it's so central to our faith that it's actually one of the things that the early church was most known for. In fact, it was a defining characteristic, how we address this issue right here, this poison right here, and the power that it has, and the power of the early church, the gospel, how it shaped and formed whole communities. Rather than me tell you about it, I would like you to hear about it. Uh, we're going to go to a letter in the New Testament, way in the back, uh, called First. Peter. And just a note on Peter, because you really have to know who this guy is to start to understand some of the words and the letters that he wrote. Uh, Peter was somebody who was a lot like many of us. In fact, we did a series on him way back in the spring uh, called Unlikely. You can check that out on the website, because uh, he was an unlikely disciple. He was a fisherman. He was kind of a man's man, you know. Uh, he was just a, a dude, a bro, right? This is Peter. He didn't have a ton of education in, in the world. In fact, that's why he was a very unlikely disciple for Jesus to ask to follow him, unlikely person to change the world. I mean, he was just kind of like this average guy, a little, little temper to him. I mean, he was a little impulsive. In other words, he was a lot like us, with the notable exception that he met Jesus, that he met him face to face, and then he saw, he watched as Jesus was crucified, was killed, put into the grave, and then he came back to life. And, and Peter like hung out and had breakfast with him after he saw Jesus die, and it just changed him. And it's like, it's out of that change that he started talking to people, and he started writing out these letters. And so one of those letters is 1 Peter chapter 3. And he's a regular guy, and he's writing out of this gospel change. And we're going to start it off in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And uh, we've got it on the screen here, too. And he's giving instructions um, to Christian households. So if you're not a Christian... Maybe just pay attention, see if you can glean some things. If you are, like I said earlier, this stuff is mandatory. And he starts off, and he goes, um, I'm addressing husbands now. And he goes, husbands, in the same way, see, he just got done addressing wives uh, a little bit earlier in First Peter chapter 3. And uh, he, he gives some instructions for the wives, and I'd like to hang out a little bit more uh, on the husbands. Elsewhere, Paul, a little bit more educated version of Peter, uh, writes to a different church in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, he says, uh, Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. And what does the church do in the 21st century? We forget about the first part. <laughs> and we just go to like, wives, submit to your husband. It's like, bro, the, the thing, the line immediately before that was submit to one another. There's this principle of mutual submission that's like so central to the gospel that we're going to see it come up even today over and over and over again. And so today, he, he gives these instructions to the wives, but I thought today it's going to be more helpful to talk uh, to the fellas here with everybody listening in. And he goes, husbands, in the same way, so all that stuff I just said to the wives previously uh, also applies to you in the same way. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And this is really the operative word that we're talking about here. 
Treat them, treat those wives with respect. And when I say this, this subject matter that we're covering today, this poison called lust, was central to the Jesus movement in first century Rome, it's this word really that I'm talking about, that word respect. Do you have any idea how countercultural it was for Peter, a man's man, a fisherman, to write a letter, to write it down actually with ink and have it be copied and circulated throughout the world with his name attached to it and say, this is the mark to which I would like human-to-human relationships to be known for. And the word is respect. I mean, keep, keep in mind, this is a culture where, where women had no standing, they had no rights, and they had no status. In a Jewish court of law, if you were going to prove something to happen, and the only witness was a woman, they wouldn't be bothered to even be called as a, as a witness because their testimony was not admissible, not without a man. When a different disciple of Jesus named Matthew remembers the time that he watched his Lord and Savior Jesus and Rabbi feed 5,000 people, and he wrote down the story in the, in the book of Matthew that we know today, it was likely way more than 5,000 people because it was just the custom of the day not to count women. They only counted the men in attendance, not the children either. And the reason why they didn't count women is because women didn't count. And it doesn't sound great, and I recognize that, and I'm just sort of pointing out that this is the culture in which they lived. In fact, women were a commodity. Women could be bought and sold, used, and then discarded. Uh, Prostitution was legal and also was not considered adultery or cheating if the person that you're doing it with wasn't already married. She was only a person insofar as her husband's identity made her a person. If she wasn't married yet, it didn't count. You can start to see, start to step into the world that Peter is speaking on this thing, and it's not a very delightful one. You might be thinking, man, with such a low view of women, it's, it's kind of a surprise that there was any like families or marriages that got started. Exactly. In Rome, it became such a problem that people would essentially not marry, not have kids, especially daughters. They would just leave them out, kind of an ancient form of abortion, just like, I don't want this one. It's not convenient for me. It's done. And, they would just, and the Christians would, of course, take them home and to, and to raise them, and that's what they were known for. But it became so common just to not have a family, because after all, why would you, that on at least two occasions in the Roman Senate, there were bills introduced making marriage compulsory and mandatory for the survival of the Roman Empire. I hope I'm casting this picture of this dismal view of women. And we've come a long way. But I don't think we've come like that far. I think the way that we view people And we're talking, because it's scripture, we're we're talking husbands, we're talking about men to women now, but I think that you could substitute in. uh, However the Spirit uh, leads you to be convicted on this. It it could be uh, husbands, it could be wives, him or her. That's not the important part. I don't think that much has changed. When we look at a person and say, if she didn't want me to, if he didn't want me to look, she wouldn't have worn that. I think that what we're doing is distilling it down to it's not a person, it's an object. 
I think when we use phrases like, it's just a video, we forget that there's a person on the other end of that video. I think we have made some great strides. I just don't think we have come quite as far as we'd like to think that we have. And then these gatherings started. And you know, maybe it was in like a living room or maybe it was in a home. It's this gathering called an ecclesia is the Greek word. It just, it simply means um, uh, an assembly. And they, they were assembling around really not much more than a story. And a person at the center of that story named Jesus, a person who died and came back to life. And it like changed them. And Peter was really one of the central figures in these ecclesia, these, these gatherings that started, uh, started meeting up and started to mobilize and it started to, to spread all around. And one of the central tenets, one of the beliefs that they attached onto these ecclesias when they gathered together is to say, you know what? Jesus taught us to love one another. And I have to imagine at some point there was some joker in the back of the room who was going, even the girls? <laughs> and it's like, yes, yes, like love one another, like every single person. Like we have to figure it out. And Jesus even upped the ante and he goes, I, I want you to love even the girls. I want you to love them like I have loved you. And for Peter to be on the receiving end of that thing, and when I'm talking, like he was just, he was a man's man. He was a fisherman guy. He was pretty blue collar. And he was changed because of what he saw and because of what he experienced. And he goes, this thing, this principle of love, and we have to get this thing right. And his colleague Paul, like I mentioned earlier in Ephesians chapter 5, and he goes, hey, husbands, uh, love your wives. Uh, How do you think we should love our wives? What does that even look like? We're a little bit out of practice on this. And Paul continues, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Guys in the back of the room. Uh, more questions? Yeah, didn't Jesus die for the church? He did, and that's the point. And I'm not asking you just simply to die. I'm asking you to live for them as well. This is a bit off topic, but sometimes I'm asked, uh, sometimes like what this, uh, like what it looks like, uh, what it looks like to, um, to exercise the Ephesians 5 wisdom of, of Christ uh, as the head of the church, husband as the head of the wife. What is that leadership? What is that headship? What does it look like? I mean, it's in the Bible, so we're not going to toss it aside. We, we've got to put it into action. How do we put that into action? And, and this is one of the many convictions that I've come to. We try it on, and if it fits, take it. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, what it, one of the things that Christ did, that's most central, of course, he died for the church. He sacrificed himself to the church. And we're learning about this principle of mutual submission over and over again. And sometimes, fellas, I think we like, write ourselves out of that one and say, no, no, what leadership looks like is strength. And what Jesus showed us is what actual leadership looks like is sacrifice. And this is just like a personal conviction of mine that I share it with some other men that I'm leading and that I'm following. And you can take it or leave it. And and I'm not saying that I get it all the time right. But one of the convictions on this sacrifice is when you have that argument with the person that you love most in the world, and you know just how to push those buttons, right? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. That's fine. Uh, And there's like the, there's the stalemate. When, like, nobody wants to say another word. Nobody wants to be the first one to apologize. And you're like, we're going to be married for the next 50 years. Uh, I don't think we're going to be married for 50 years with this thing hanging over us. Somebody's going to have to apologize. Nobody wants to be the first one. Here's an idea. Maybe what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, to sacrifice, to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, is to be the first one to apologize. And maybe that's just on you. 
And you're like, it's not fair. You don't know the scenario. You don't know the situation. And let's point back to Jesus and say, did he know the scenario? Did he know? Did he say that it was fair? Or was it grace? And isn't that what this whole thing is built on? And be the first to apologize. Uh, it's a tremendous show of respect and sacrifice, following in the footsteps of Jesus. I think that's what leadership is about. But more on that another time, because I'm way off topic. See what you guys did to me? Okay. This ecclesia is changing the world, right? Because this guy in the back of the room going, even the girls? And it's like, did I stutter? Yes, of course the girls too. It's, it's everybody. And, and I think the guy's like, I think my wife is going to like that, you know? This is going to be new to her. It's going to be a little bit weird. When, when she discovers that I'm not just messing with her, I think she's going to be really into this. And I think the neighbor, if he starts treating his wife that way, I think, I think she's going to be really into it too. Like you can see how this Jesus movement started taking over the world, can't you? As the neighbors and communities are changed, are coming to this ecclesia that we now know of as the church at its best, this movement, not an institution, but it's the people, it's you and I. It's, it's this incredible thing that's like growing and growing. And Jesus, of course, practiced this one over and over and over again. The Samaritan woman, he asked her for a drink. You're going to let a girl give you something to drink? Yes. Yeah, that's the kind of movement that I'm leading. Uh, Jesus practiced this one over and over and over again. It's, it's, the word, it's the word respect. And for Peter, as a fisherman, <laughs> okay, so... I had to take, uh, I had to learn Greek, and because I went to a school that did a lot of Greek, and I don't know why, I decided that this is going to be my foreign language, I'm going to minor in this, so I had, to, I had to learn a lot of it. And it was, it's pretty cool, because you could start to tell who was writing something by the words that they used. So Paul has a huge education, and I never wanted to take a Pauline class, right, because I had to learn way too much vocabulary, and that's what kind of person I am. He just knew so many words, and like really big words, too. I loved reading people like Mark. I love reading people like Peter because the dude like barely has an education. He uses so few words. And I'm just telling you, like the Bible, right? It's not handed down just, you know, from heaven, inspired by the Holy Spirit for sure, but like by human authors. And so when Peter is writing, it's a pretty basic kind of elementary, middle school like range of words. It's, it's really readable and the tests are a little bit easier. There's a life hack for you. <laughs> But this word that he uses, respect, it's the only time that he ever uses it. In addition to that, it's the only time that that word respect is used in the entire New Testament. And I don't know about you guys, but when I come across a fact like that, Paul never used it, Matthew, Mark, John, none of these guys ever used it. But Peter, like, reaches way down into his vocabulary. I think he had to ask some friends, what's the thing called? Like, we, how we treat women around here. And somebody's like, this is the word that you're looking for. It's called respect. And he goes, yes, respect definition to grant or assign someone honor respect and we're going to come back to that because we have a little more bible we have a little more bible to do okay so he says uh, husbands in the same way be considerate you live with your wives and treat them with respect and we started off right here treat them with respect as the weaker partner and before i get an email i'm going to highlight that one just (laughs) to let it live on He's just, pointing, he's just pointing out a few observations about how the world works. He's not like weaker in like status or weaker in terms of like personhood. He's not saying that. He's simply pointing out that like, hey, fellas, you probably win at arm wrestling like more often than not, right? Or at least some of the time. You're bigger, you're stronger generally, right? Not all the time. But, and he's just, he's, he's pointing out a case. But also as we apply that principle of least interest, I think it hits pretty hard. 
Because anytime we have somebody established throughout the biblical story, throughout scripture, Genesis to Revelation, anytime we have someone who's identified as stronger, more capable, uh, has more resources, uh, financially or political resource or influence, anytime you have somebody that has more of something, it is on them to leverage that more for the benefit and the flourishing of the one who has less. So we're establishing in here, okay, the weaker partner, he's making some, fellas had a lot more rights, they had a lot more standing, they had a lot more, more, and he's going, now fellas, it's on you to leverage that for the benefit of somebody who has less. Um, Okay, respect, this is when he really drops it. Uh, Treat them with respect, it's a weaker partner, leveraging, and as heirs, that word is huge, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Treat them as heirs. Do you know what it means to be an heir? It means when you see somebody at the gym and you're trying not to look. It means when you see that uh, video scroll through and and you're just scrolling. You didn't ask for this. I mean, there's an algorithm, so you kind of did ask for it, but never mind on that. (laughs) And you're, you're scrolling... You're scrolling through, and heaven help us, Tinder, right? Or any other dating app. And you're scrolling through, and you're seeing pictures, and you're seeing visuals. You are looking at somebody for whom Jesus left heaven. That's what respect means. Uh, granting and assigning somebody honor. Recognizing every picture, every video, every stolen glance. You're looking at somebody for whom Jesus left heaven. And when I'm talking about the why, when I'm talking about the key to unlocking this whole thing, if you want to have that healthy, intimate, deeper connection with another human being, I'm telling you, looking at somebody as whom, as for whom someone, Jesus left heaven and loved to death and back again to new life. Man, maybe not overnight, but in weeks and months, that is going to change you. And along with that, I have to just tack this one right along the sign. You are someone for whom Jesus left heaven. When you look at yourself, when you look at your life, when you're beating yourself up because you fell down again and you didn't get it right again, I'm telling you, you look in the mirror and you are looking at somebody for whom Jesus left heaven. He loves you to death and back again for new life. It's an incredible, powerful story of the gospel. All right. We're going to land the plane. We're going to go a little deeper. And we're going to pull out again. So if I could just have your attention for five more minutes. Some of us, this is not a concern of a stolen glance or a, a quick peek. It's a more prolonged addiction. And I'd like to speak into that pornography addiction for a moment. It used to be in churches, we could say, hey, we know this is bad. Let's talk about some resources and like get you going on your way. See you next week. We're not there anymore. Uh, we're not at a place where we all just know, I don't think this is good for me. I think, that, I think it's poisonous. Uh, we're kind of at this place where it's like, maybe it's just an innocent path, pastime. And I'd like to just, if you don't do it for your brother or sister in Christ, for whom Jesus left heaven, do it for yourself. Knock it off, quit it for yourself because it isn't just an innocent pastime. It's a pathway and it leads somewhere. It's going somewhere. It's leading to destruction. 
is that every time you log on, every time you watch the thing, every time you indulge yourself, you're learning something. It's like you're entering a school. And Peter, he knows, Jesus, he knows you're entering the school. And so he doesn't just want you to not have fun. He wants to save you, and he wants to save the future of your human relationships with other people. You're enrolling this school, and the school is teaching you that a real body isn't good enough. He's teaching you that one body isn't good enough. And he's teaching you that your spouse's body isn't, or future spouse's body, isn't good enough. It's a school. And every time you participate, we're indulging in learning that. And it doesn't take a scientist, a psychologist, to look at that and say, man, if you carry those things into any relationship, it's poison. And it should be controlled. Unenroll. Make your make up your mind to, as Paul says, renew your mind. As a church, we would love to come alongside. I would love to have that conversation. We'll get you going in the right direction. I would love to help you experience that freedom as so many people around here have. We look at this thing and we're like, I'm not sure. Culture is telling me it's just an innocent pastime. We've made that mistake before, right? Like we can look back into our collective past and some of you are old enough to remember a few of the whoopsies that we've made as a culture. Uh, When my wife and I, um, so many years ago, 22 years ago, started dating and I asked her out to eat at a restaurant and we would go and the first thing the hostess would ask is how many, the second thing she would ask is smoking or non. Uh, Those of you who are under like 25, you're going like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a thing. Like, people would just smoke inside a restaurant, like, while we're eating. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a smoker, but, like, I was that day, you know? And some of you guys were going, uh, how did the smoke know to stay in the smoking section? It didn't, right? I don't know what we were thinking. But everybody was like, this is an innocent pastime. It's not going to hurt anybody. In World War II, the United States government actually gave cigarettes out to keep soldiers entertained and occupied. Think about how much quicker we could have won that one if, like, our soldiers had full lung capacity, right? I'm not, like, a wartime expert or anything, but, like, come on. Like, we just know, don't we? We have a little time, and science has demonstrated, has proven, it's just bad for you. It's like putting poison right into your body. I'm telling you, you go home, you start looking it up. Look into this thing. What you view online matters, and it's taken in, it puts something inside of your body, and it's no less of a poison. So just root it out. If not for your future spouse, current spouse, root it out for yourself right now. Honor and respect. That's, that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for here. Um, honor and respect means that women, men, people are not a commodity to be discarded, to be traded, to be used, to text and then to not text them back, to ghost their person for whom Jesus left heaven. Okay, one, one final thing, and then I promise we'll wrap it up. <laughs> and I'm just talking to fellas right now because uh, I, I've been out of the dating game for a long time now, <laughs> and, uh, and that just affords me uh, 
the possibilities of just having lots of conversation, uh, particularly with women, with women that you would probably like to date. And I hear from them about how they're having a hard time finding somebody that they want to spend the rest of their lives with. So I feel like I just have this kind of foot in both worlds kind of like look. And so I just want, fellas, to pass along to you a few of the things that were passed along to me and invite you to consider what you will with this. It's just that I've noticed that for a huge number of women, they have just given up on finding a guy who lives out, who lives this out, who's made, the, made up his mind to renew his mind. It's just like not even in the realm of possibility anymore. And so they're looking at either living life alone or just settling way down. You know, and that's troubling. And it should be troubling. Don't get me wrong. And they're asking like me, like, what, like, what do I do? Right? And I'm like, I don't know. I got a sermon coming up soon. So maybe that'll work. I don't, and I'm just pointing it out to you, fellas, that if you could do this thing, if you can make up your mind to renew your mind, if you could recognize that the person that you're spending time with, the person that you're looking for, is somebody for whom Jesus left heaven, if you could like internalize this instead of that poison and cast that thing out, I'm telling you, fellas, that puts you in a very small, very desirable group of suitors and potential boyfriend material for those other people talking to me in the office, okay? It is like a superpower. And I'm just going to set that out there. I want you to stand up. Let's pray. Let's land this thing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, thank you for speaking today. Uh, thank you for giving us the why. Uh, God, we stop some things. We start some programs. We make these commitments not because of, uh, not because we, we want to do it for ourselves or we want to do it for somebody else. Uh, Jesus, it's because of the change that you have initiated inside of each one of us. Is that you have loved us. You've loved us and died for us when we've messed up and when we've gotten it right. God, you care. And each one of us is your son and your daughter. And before we end our time together at church, if I said something today you would like to just pray with somebody else, of course you can find me. We also have a table in each of our locations. We'd love to pray with you. Jesus, it's in your resurrected name we pray.